It's 5 o'clock. It's 75 degrees. I'm Mike Martini with the WMKV News. Cincinnati City Council passed an ordinance today prohibiting texting while driving in the city of city, uh, the city limits of Cincinnati. Motion was approved during the meeting of the Public Safety Committee. According to the ordinance, the new law would prohibit sending, reading, or writing a text message or accessing the Internet while driving. Fines would increase for repeat offenders. Several evacuations were ordered this afternoon after a gas leak near the DuPont plant on Brower Road out in Miami Township. Police say there was an oleum gas leak. The plant, as well as Shawnee Lookout Park and the nearby CSX rail yard, were all evacuated. Greater Cincinnati Hazardous Materials Unit is on the scene. No injuries have been reported. Dearborn County Sheriff's Department says a driver has come forward following a hit-and-run crash that killed a 3-year-old boy near Bright, Indiana yesterday. Police have been looking for a blue pickup truck that hit and killed three-year-old Jack Carpenter on North Dearborn Road. Police say a woman called this morning saying that she was in the area at the time, drives a blue pickup truck, and told police she may have been involved. Uh, She also told police that she didn't realize she had hit the boy. The woman uh, has been released from custody. No charges have been filed yet, but the investigation will continue. National News Today, BP took some of the blame for the Gulf oil disaster in an internal report issued today, acknowledging, among other things, that it misinterpreted a key pressure test of the well, but in a possible preview of its legal strategy, it also pointed the finger at its partners on the doomed rig. The highly highly technical 200-page report attributes the worst offshore oil spill in U.S. history and rig explosion uh, to a chain, a complex chain of uh, failures, both human and mechanical. The report is far from the definitive ruling for the cause of the disaster. For one thing, government investigators are still looking into what went wrong. Wall Street today. Stocks tumbled to a modest gain, uh, stumbled to a modest gain after the Federal Reserve saw, quote, widespread signs, unquote, of decelerating economy. And the president said he would not budge on letting the 2001 and 2003 tax breaks expire at the end of the year. The rally saw the Dow Industrials move up early on as many as 86 points after uh, yesterday's worries about European debt problems eased. But the blue chip index faded at the close after the Fed's Beige Book report was released and the president spoke. The Dow finished the day up 46 points to 10,387. Uh, the S&P topped, um, up, was up 7 points to finish at 1,099, and the NASDAQ rose 20 points to 220, or 2,229. J.P. Morgan Chase was the leader today, up 2.4%. Alcoa was up 2.6%, and uh, Caterpillar uh, was up uh, a little over 2%. Energy shares rose as crude oil moved up $0.58 cents to $74.67 a barrel. Gold slept the dollar eighty to one thousand two hundred and fifty-seven dollars an ounce. Interest rates were high as the stock rally pulled money from bonds. The ten-year Treasury yield was at two point six five four percent from two point six zero nine percent yesterday. The dollar was lower against the major currencies. So that's the news from Wall Street and around the world and. Now here's George with a look at this date in history. George? Thank you, Mike. And here we go. September 8th. Let's go back to 1892. The Pledge of Allegiance to the United States of America was written by a former Baptist preacher, Francis Bellamy. Now, it only took Mr. Bellamy three hours to write the original 23 words. It was made in honor of the 400th anniversary of Columbus discovering America. 
1935, the Hoboken Four, featuring Frank Sinatra as the lead singer, appeared on Major Bo's Amateur Hour on WOR Radio. The group won the competition held at the Capitol Theater in New York City. 1944, Ed Wynn resumed his radio career after seven years off the air. Wynn starred in Happy Island on the NBC Blue Network. 1965, a pretty momentous day from a baseball standpoint. Bert Campanaris of the Kansas City Athletics, he was really a shortstop by trade, but he ended up playing all nine positions as the A's lost to the California Angels 5-3 to three in 13 innings. He even gave up a run while pitching a one-man team, Bert Campanaris, 1965. And 1966, uh, Trekkies rejoice, NBC TV headed into space, the final frontier. On this day, the, fi- the first episode of Star Trek, titled The Man Trap, was seen on the network. That was September 8, 1966. That's a look at Today in History along with Mike Martini. I'm George Zahn. And George has never been the same. All right, let's check on traffic right now. We have an accident uh, on uh, the ramp from Moss Deller to westbound 275, an accident in Loveland, Madeira at Sleepy Hollow. Covedale at Rapid Run, an accident. Kennedy at Woodford and Glenmore at Work Road. Also, uh, the, there is a disabled southbound 75 on the Brent Spence Bridge, but they are in the process of getting that out of the way. Your weather forecast tonight, clear skies, a low around 50 degrees. Tomorrow, nice day, another nice day. Sunny skies with a high around 75. Just a slight chance of rain on Friday, otherwise sunny with a high of 78. Uh, better chance of rain Saturday, a 50% chance with a high of 82, and then Sunday, partly sunny with a high around 80. Right now we're at 75 degrees here at 89.3 WMKV. The views and discussion expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of the hosts of the program, WMKV, Maple Knoll Communities, its staff, or management. The information and advice presented are educational in nature and not intended to be taken as legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Always consult with your own legal, accounting, or other professional before making any investment. Welcome to Real Life Real Estate Investing, a show to help you gain financial freedom by investing in real estate. Brought to you by the Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati and the Ohio Real Estate Investors Association. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing on 89.3 FM WMKV. And now your host, Vena Jones-Cox. Good afternoon. I am Vina Jones-Cox, and this is Real Life Real Estate Investing, your nation's public radio source for the latest and greatest in real estate investing, tips, techniques, advice, and news. The Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati is holding a very special one-day seminar this Saturday. It's all about how to invest in self-storage units. It's a unique topic. It's a profitable little niche. There aren't that many people in the whole country who can educate you about that. But this Saturday in Covington, Kentucky, at the Cincinnati RIA offices, you'll have the chance to learn exactly that. So you can get more information about that at CincinnatiRIA.com. That's CincinnatiREIA.com or at 859 859- Two nine two seven three four two. That's eight five nine two nine two Ria. If you want to go to that, you better find out about it fast because 
that little room over there only holds about 30 people. And I know that uh, last time I spoke to the RIA office, they had something like 27 signed up. So uh, if you're coming, let them know right away so that they can get a bigger meeting space. Again, that's CincinnatiRIA.com or 859-292-7342. If you're a fan of real-life real estate investing and you'd like to know about the upcoming programs before they even happen, make suggestions about the programs, or just compliment me on what a great job I do, you can join our fan page on Facebook by going to realliferealestateradio.com. Realliferealestateradio.com is where we let folks know each and every week about the upcoming programs, ask for program and guest ideas, and also take your questions. You'll be joining 4,400 fans. You can also go to iTunes and join the 1,900 folks who are subscribed to the Real Life Real Estate Investing Podcast, so you never have to miss a show. For those of you who are listening to us on the podcast, don't forget we do, in fact, broadcast live from WMKV in Cincinnati. Uh, You can listen live to the streaming audio at wmkvfm.org on Wednesdays between 5 and 6 Eastern Time, or of course, download the podcast. But you already know that if you're listening to the podcast. And don't forget that WMKV, just like all public radio stations, operates primarily from membership support. And you know what that means? It means next week during Fun Drive, you got to listen. And... You got to pledge. You don't pledge. There is no WMKV. And if there's no WMKV, guess what? There's no real life real estate investing. So listen up. Next week, we got a very, very special package put together for all you real estate folks. And we'll be telling you all about it during Fun Drive next week. My guest today is Scott Myers, who began his real estate career the way many folks do, buying and selling single-family homes. He moved on to the commercial arena, purchasing, rehabbing, and selling about 400 apartment units in four years, valued at over $7 million. But even that wasn't enough for Scott Myers. He decided he needed to find a strategy that but not only hyper-profitable, but where there wasn't a lot of competition. And I think most importantly, no tenants. He is the country's foremost expert on self-storage investing, and he is joining us today from his home in Indianapolis, Indiana. Scott, welcome to Real Life Real Estate. Hi, Vina. How are you? (laughs) Very good, Scott. How are you? Fantastic, thank you, and thank you for that nice introduction. (laughs) Well, you're you're very welcome, and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm very excited to come to your seminar on Saturday that, that Cincinnati RIA is sponsoring. Uh, I know you very rarely do all-day seminars because you've got that whole self-storage business thing, but uh, yep. <laughs> since, you're, since you're 90 minutes away, I guess it was, uh, it was a good fit for you to drive over here and spend Saturday with folks. And uh, once again, anyone else who wants to come is uh, welcome to do that at CincinnatiRIA.com for more information. Uh, <clears throat> now, Scott, self-storage is something that I hear people express a lot of curiosity about. They mm-hmm, say, mm-hmm. they say, man, those things have got to be making money. Have you ever looked into the cost of renting one of those little self-storage bays? Goodness gracious, they're nothing but concrete block buildings. How, you know, what? <laughs> These people must be making money hand over fist, and yet they don't, they don't understand how 
self-storage units are acquired, financed, managed, et cetera, et cetera. How did you go about learning that when you decided that that was the direction you wanted to go? Yeah, I was um, absolutely. I was one of those people, and um, I think the term you forgot to mention was, "Boy, I've heard those things were cash cows." And I, <laughs> I'd heard that mentioned uh, and uttered so many times. And uh, you're right because self storage is a, a, is a little different animal. It, it truly is commercial real estate, but it kind of straddles that line between being a small business, and you see it um, listed along the side of, of other small businesses by the small business brokers. You know, along with parking lots and and coin laundries and and, and bars for crying out loud, but um, it, it truly is commercial real estate, and, and for that reason, um, you, don't, you didn't see it taught too many times or any places. I know I, I, I ran my RIA over here in Indianapolis, as you know, for a number of years, and, and I was a member for six years before that, and nobody came through teaching about storage, and I couldn't find anybody out there who taught on it. And so um, once I got to that place where I almost went bankrupt as a landlord and I began looking into self-storage and I had heard that those words uttered so many times that these things are cash cows and after renting one for my rehab business, I decided, okay, it's time to start looking into this and finding out just exactly what this is all about. So I went to um, the National Self-Storage Association conference. It was up in Chicago. And I went up there, it was their traveling regional show, and um, immersed myself in the industry for three days and went to all the sessions, and, but mostly networked and talked with all the other investors and folks that were already in the business. And, and that's where, I think as many people know and realize, that's where you really gain the most knowledge is by talking to other people that are in the business. And once I found out how fantastic it was and that there was very little downside, and as a matter of fact, there weren't too many um, complaints or anybody that had really anything bad to say, I realized that the reason why nobody's teaching about it and the, the, you can't readily find information is because um, those those 5,000 people that were up there at the conference there are trying to keep their lips shut so that nobody else gets into it. <laughs> it's their own little secret. So uh, once I got into it, um, into the business, I realized that, yeah, this is, this is awesome and I'm just um, an educator at heart. I used to teach for the University of Indianapolis and teach at my local RIA and been an investor and a part of that for a number of years and I decided to to combine the two and um, begin on teaching what I had learned about the industry after several years in it and through the School of Hard Knocks and let other people realize that there is a better way to invest in real estate, or at least a different way, without all the hassles of tenants and toilets and trash. And, and, and that's where we are today. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, let's start with the really big picture on self-storage sure. here, because um, I think everybody knows what we're talking about when we say when we yep. say self-storage facilities but um h- how many are there I, if i if i want to go buy a single family house i know that i can choose from hundreds of thousands and find the right deal are, are there really enough of these things around that someone can make a living investing in them yeah it's a, you know, interesting question i and i asked myself the same thing in the beginning so i guess the bigger question that i asked myself was how can a little guy like me uh, just a small-time investor investing in single-family homes and some small apartments get into the business when all i do when i look around and all i see are the, the public storages and the extra space storage and you store it in storage usa you know all the corporate guys they 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 run the whole business and, and the whole industry uh, but what I found is that the big guys only run and own about 11% of the facilities nationwide. And as you mentioned, um, myself, as well as most investors out in the real estate investing arena, get started in single-family homes. There was a study done recently that showed there are roughly 11 million single-family homes out there that are uh, owned by investors who rent them out. Mm-hmm. Yet there are 23 million self-storage rental units out there, more than double the amount of single-family opportunities available to invest in. And so 
the field is wide open, and it's interesting when I when I talk to live audiences, I ask people to raise their hands as to how many people are investing in single-family homes, and in a room full of 100 people, usually about 60% of the room or 60 people raise their hands. Yet when I ask about and, and that are competing against each other and bidding each other up on prices and losing out most times on on the single-family homes, yet when I ask people how many people are investing in self-storage. I'm usually the only guy in the room raising my hand and maybe one other person, and that's about it. Uh-huh. And so um, the opportunity is just absolutely mind-boggling, yet hardly anybody you know, knows about it or is looking into it and or investing in it. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Okay, with that, now that we have whetted everybody's appetite with the idea that uh, if you've been looking for that lower competition kind of strategy, here it is. I'm going to give out the phone number, so we're going to take a quick break. If you have any questions about self-storage investing, you can call us here live on the air at 772-9658. If you're in the greater Cincinnati area, 772-9658. If you are listening to us on the web and you're not in greater Cincinnati, you can call us toll-free at 877-772-9658. Or you can send us an email at askvina at gmail.com. Support for WMKV comes from the Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati, a nonprofit educational association with programs available for real estate investors at all levels of experience. RIA meets on the first and third Thursdays of every month. More information about RIA and their meetings is available at 859 292 7342. Let's take a quick check on traffic right now. That disabled, as I mentioned earlier, on the Brent Spence Bridge. They were pushing it out of the way. Well, it's pushed out of the way, so you don't have to worry about that. But we still have accidents on the ramp from Moss Deller to westbound 275. Also, Loveland Madeira at Sleepy Hollow. Covedale at Rapid Run, an accident. Glenmore at work and Kennedy at Woodford. And delays include North 71 off and on Ridge through Pfeiffer. Uh, also, we have some backup southbound 75 approaching the bridge. And uh, northbound 75 off and on 74 to Paddock. And again at Glendale Milford, southbound 71 uh, across Fort Washington Way, a little heavier than usual this afternoon. Your forecast tonight, clear skies, a low around 50. Tomorrow, sunny with a high of 75. Friday, sunny with a high of 78. Slight chance of afternoon showers. And then Saturday, a 50% chance of rain with a high of 82 degrees. Right now we're at 75 here at 89.3 WMKV. It's coming up fast. The next WMKV Big Band Dance is already coming up this Sunday, September the 12th, from 2 till 5 p.m. at Maple Knoll Village Auditorium, located on Springfield Pike in Springdale. We hope you'll decide to come out, dance, and enjoy some wonderful dance sets provided by the Maple Knoll Big Band and the wonderful dance floor here at Maple Knoll Village Auditorium. It's open to the public, and free dance instruction starts early at 1 p.m. Snacks and drinks are also served. Dances are held on the 2nd, 4th, and 5th Sunday each month. And stay tuned to WMKV 89.3 FM to get schedule updates and other special events. It's a great time for singles, couples, or groups. Volunteers are also needed for the dances. The next big band dance this Sunday, September the 12th. Ticket information or more details on the next WMKV Big Band Dance are available at 513-782-2427 or at WMKVFM.org. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox. Talking today to self-storage investing expert Scott Myers, who's going to be in Cincinnati this weekend and actually spoke at the RIA meeting last Thursday and was just a hit. I mean, he knocked it. He had those people glued to their seats for an hour and a half. 
absolutely amazing stuff, and he's coming back to do an all-day on Saturday. More information at CincinnatiRia.com. Now, uh, uh, Scott, we were talking about uh, sort of the, sort of the, the big picture stats uh, that there's there's 23 million self storage units, and and I, I think I think what we mean by that is 23 million bays, not 23 million self storage facilities. <laughs> okay, and of course they vary in size, you know, from just a few to to hundreds in any particular facility. Um, mm-hmm. Recession, ugly mm-hmm. word for most real estate investors. What kind of word is that for a self storage investor? Yeah, <laughs> well, it um, yeah, self storage has actually uh, benefited. It's um, it, for those of the the folks that are out there listening right now. If you've been uh, reading the newspapers, looking on the internet, or or paying any attention to commercial real estate at all, uh, you've seen that self storage actually thrives uh, on a recession. Uh, those of us that are in the business, we actually look forward to recessions because that means that businesses are downsizing. And when people downsize and businesses downsize, they need to store stuff. Our units are full right now with commercial copiers and, and cubicle partitions and, and furniture and excess inventory and with individuals that have been forced to downsize and some folks that have had to go back to apartments or moving in with parents or friends or what have you. Well, they got a lot of stuff that won't fit, but um, you know where they gave up their house or they cut their mortgage in half uh, to be able to put the extra stuff that won't fit in their new home, uh, to pay 100 to 150 dollars a month is, is 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 no sweat on their budget to be able to do so, and so yeah, history has shown that every time we have a recession, uh, the self storage industry actually actually thrives, and uh, the industry as a whole has been posting about 20 to 24 percent gains quarter over quarter over quarter since December of 2007 as we've been uh, tracking this recession. It's been um, it's been said by both Warren Buffett and Robert Kiyosaki, who are big proponents of investing in and invest in self-storage, that this is a totally inflation-proof and utterly recession-proof industry. And uh, we, we see that, and we, we've been experiencing it as we've been tracking it for the past 30 years. It just does very, very well during a recession. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, let's... Let's let's go go down now and talk about some of the basics of of this whole self storage mm-hmm. investing thing because it doesn't matter what kind of real estate you're investing in there are mm-hmm. there are certain things that that each one of them has in common in terms of what sort of skills you need to learn before you jump in <laughs> it's always sure. always sure. a bad idea to jump into any kind of real estate or for that matter any investment or business without at mm-hmm. least understanding some of the uh, basics. Um, I assume that in self-storage investing, like in any other kind of investing, there are two markets. There's the retail, retail market of you know, folks who aren't really motivated to sell and sure they'll they'll sell if they get full price and what you're really buying it for is more the return than any upside. And then there's the motivated sellers. Yep. Which, which, which one do you work with and do you teach people to work with? Well, I, I, the answer is pretty simple. It's mostly the motivated folks. Um, um, but let's touch on the folks that aren't motivated. And what we found in the self-storage business is that since it is um, more so like a business than commercial real estate in a lot of owners' eyes, is what we're finding, Vina, is that we're searching these business broker listings and websites that are out there because sometimes they're right alongside of the coin laundries and parking lots and, and, and other types of small businesses and where the, the mom and pop owners, they may not be savvy in value, putting a value to their self-storage facility as a piece of commercial real estate. So let's say they developed it for 400000 15 years later and all that cash flow, 
and uh, depreciation, they've decided they're going to sell it for $600,000, and that's a fair price for them. Well, when we evaluate it, as we do commercial real estate, by applying a cap rate to the net operating income, we find out that thing's worth $900,000. And so whereas there, you know, we may pull, pay them full price at that point and, and not, not bat an eye at, uh, at doing so. And so those, there are those out there that are, that are listed, which you would technically consider at a retail level, but that are really good deals to us for those of us that know how, what to look for and how to value commercial real estate. But by the same token, you know, we're talking with brokers and we're sending out mailers and contacting the owners directly and, and yes, targeting the folks that, for whatever reason, um, they're selling their facility. And, and, and the question I, I normally get, which I'm sure uh, if I, somebody hasn't called in already, I'll go ahead and flush it out right now, is that if these things are so great, why will people sell it? Why do people want to sell them? And the simple answer is for the same reasons they sell other forms of real estate, mm-hmm. death in the family, divorce, bankruptcy. They may be facing some capital improvements that they don't want to pay for. Maybe they've had a little bit of competition come into town and it's compressed their rates a little bit and they, they don't like the fact that their returns have gone down a little bit. They just want to retire, move on, trade in, trade up, 1031 exchange into another property. Uh, any, any number of reasons why anybody sells any piece of real estate or moves on from a business is the reasons why people are selling um, self-storage facilities, and, and we're there to try to put together a deal that works for both of us. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing. Our number's here in the studio with any questions that you might have about self-storage investing are 772-9658 or 877-772-9658. You can also send us an email at askvina at gmail.com, but remember to do it now because once again, I got home last Wednesday and found two or three questions that had been sent at 558 can't answer those folks don't even get them until after i leave here uh anything about self-storage that's uh you got the the expert here on the phone if you've been wondering about this there are no stupid questions 772-9658 or 877-772-9658 or askvina at gmail.com now scott you're you're glossing over what what i think some people are going to see as as some pretty scary numbers as if they were nothing You just said, all right, so I can buy a a $900,000 self-storage unit for $600,000. And that sounds fantastic, except for one little little hang-up in people's brains, which is, where am I going to get $600,000? Commercial real estate. Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, first of all, the way that we're buying them uh, by bringing in partners and private lenders and having the sellers finance some of them for us. You know, we, we try to go for the bigger deals just because if we don't have to put our own cash in, then, you know, the more commas and more zeros, the bigger the profits. But you, the beauty of self-storage is that you don't have to start so big. I mean, we go out to these broker sites and, and contact these individuals, and uh, we're able to find these facilities for the same prices as we were buying our single-family homes from. I mean, we find them for... Thirty-five to fifty thousand dollars, and they've got anywhere from fifty to a hundred units in those. And so, I know of no other form of commercial real estate that you can buy multi-unit, multi-tenant facilities with basically no tenants or toilets for that low of a price. Um, and that is the beauty of storage, is because it's such a scalable business. You may find a three-acre parcel of ground where somebody put one or two buildings up, and for whatever reason, they decided to sell and they're selling it for the value of the income stream that is on it that allows you to get into the business and then build it out from there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And we're starting to get some questions in here, uh, Scott, about self-storage. And mm-hmm. 
Let's see, one of them here we can't answer the last question because she's asking for specific website names that are good sources of finding website facilities for sale, and we can't advertise that kind of thing here on public radio. Mm -hmm. But um, this is from Julie, who lives in New Jersey, and she says, Mm -hmm. do you really think the little investor can make deals here still now that you have made this fairly common knowledge in the investing world? Oh, there are plenty of opportunities to go around, Julie. I think uh, maybe you uh, didn't catch the the beginning part. There's a lot of uh, of our call. There's an awful lot of uh, opportunities out there, and and I do get that. Uh, I, I, I kid, Julie, because that's a common question that I have. Is that you know, if you're all doing it, Scott, all over the place, and you're teaching people how to do it, um, there's no deals left. Well, you know what? Bean has been teaching people for decades now about how to invest in single family homes and in commercial real estate as well. And guess what? Her students are still doing deals. She's not buying them all up, and neither are all her students as well. So the, there are opportunities out there. And, and, and also, you know, I get that question from uh, the folks that I meet with and talk to in my home state. And at the end of the day, you know, once we're working on one or two deals at, the t- at a time and we found some that are under contract and we're moving towards a closing, you know, we, we shut down the machine of, of looking for deals for a little while until we get those under our belt and get them stabilized. And then it's at that point that other people are looking for deals and finding deals and, you know, when they talk to the brokers as to what deals are coming out and which ones are out there and, and sending letters out to the individual owners. Their letters may work where mine didn't and their phone call may catch them at just the right time. And so, I mean, there's um, that is certainly not a concern of, of, of mine that I'm creating an army of people that I'm going to compete with or that you should be concerned with, Julie, that, that there's an awful lot of people that are learning about it because people have been learning about all the forms of real estate um, for, for decades from other teachers and other means, and there's there's always enough opportunity to go around. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, there's so many people that don't take the knowledge that I teach them and, and apply it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And my, my feel for the for the self-storage industry as a whole, as I've, as I've looked at it, and you can correct me if I'm wrong here, is that it's pretty firmly a pyramid where you got that 11% at the top that, yeah, those guys own, you know, Mm-hmm. sometimes tens of thousands of units Correct. but the mm-hmm. really big the really big base of that industry is people who own one they, they mm-hmm. had some yep. they had exactly. some they mm-hmm. had some spare land on their farm and they someone came mm-hmm. along and said hey why don't we do this so they did it or mm-hmm. you know they they had a an apartment building downtown that wasn't you know usable as an apartment building anymore so they redeveloped it as self-storage but they're not people who are actively going out and looking for the next one this is just this little income opportunity they have and they don't they wouldn't even consider themselves self-storage investors they would say oh yeah i got a little self-storage unit and that, that that's probably those people at the base of the pyramid are probably most of the sellers that you're dealing with and, and get the most motivated because it's not their business, quote unquote. You're absolutely right, Bina. Most of the folks that we talk to, you know, one of the questions that we, uh, in our initial call, uh, one of the last questions that we ask them is, do you own any other self-storage facilities? And and the majority of the time it is it is no. We, we just own this one. And um, and you're right. There's also a, a lot of times where the self-storage facility is married to a moving company, or they've got a number of facilities and three acres out behind their their hobby shop or whatever business they own. There's a lot of contractors that get into the business, and when they're slow during the winter, and they own all this land behind their shop where they're running the business out of, they decide to build a self-storage building and rent it out mm-hmm. <laughs> until winter uh, subsides and the building season kicks in again. And so there's a there's a number of um, number of ways, if you will, to, to be able to invest in this business. And it is, um, it's just a fantastic ancillary income stream to other businesses as well. 
We need to take another quick break. Once again, if you have a question about self-storage investing, this is the day to ask it. Don't be calling me on question and answer week asking me about self-storage facilities because I I, I don't own one and Scott owns a bunch of them. So uh, perhaps he would be the right person to ask your questions. 772-9658 or 877-772-9658. Or you can send us an email at askvina at gmail.com. Support comes from the Omnimax at the Cincinnati Museum Center, where you can experience the film Legends of Flight. You can marvel at the ways high-tech manufacturers from around the world use modern technology and fly in the cockpit with Chief Test Pilot Mike Carricker as he takes the new 787 Dreamliner on its first flight test. It's a wild ride. This Omnimax film now runs through November at the Cincinnati Museum Center. More information available at cincymuseum.org. Checking on traffic, Doug. Final cleanup stages, the accident on the ramp from Moss Deller to westbound 275. Also, Loveland Madeira at Sleepy Hollow and Covedale at Rapid Run. Uh, but other than that, the things are moving along much better at this hour. We still have some backups north 71 at Smith through Pfeiffer, south 71 Taft to the Lytle, north 75 Hopple to Paddock and Glendale Milford to 275 and you're on the break southbound 75 south of Hopple off and on through the construction down to the Brent Spence Bridge. Your forecast this evening, clear skies with a low around 50 degrees. Tomorrow, sunny with a high of 75 degrees. And then on Friday, mostly sunny with a high of 78. There is a slight chance of an afternoon shower into Friday evening. 50% chance on Saturday as uh, I think tropical storm Hermine passes through. Saturday's high around 82. And then Sunday, Sunny with a high around 80 degrees. Right now we're at 75 here at 89.3 WMKV. Support comes from Ohio Valley Orthopedics and Sports Medicine. Pain, stiffness, or swelling in a joint, bone, or muscle may be a sign of arthritis. And there are more than 100 types, including osteoarthritis and rheumatoid arthritis. Early and correct diagnosis can help treatment. More information about a diagnosis, protecting your joints, and a treatment plan is available at Ohio Valley Orthopedics and Sports Medicine at 513-985-3700. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox. My guest today is Scott Myers, self-storage expert and we're talking about the best ways to get started investing in self-storage also answering your questions at 772-9658 or outside the greater cincinnati area 877-772-9658 or of course askvina at gmail.com okay uh more questions from julie in new jersey scott she says, do you have any ratio of how many owners you talk to and letters that you send to finally yield a deal? Mm-hmm. Good question. Um, you know, the very first, the ratios haven't changed um, in the eight or so years since I've been um, investing solely in social stories. The first mailer that I sent out, I sent out um, a test mailing to a thousand names and addresses in the state of Indiana. And I got um, about 50 responses back, which for those of you that are familiar with blind mailings is a phenomenal response right? and uh, I started looking through those and evaluating them and I ended up with about probably about maybe half of that maybe less than half of that about 18 19 20 that I was looking at more seriously that uh, looked like really good deals and by the time we whittled all those down there was probably about four to five that were worthy of making offers on and we did make an offer on one and, and purchased one and uh, uh, 
since then, the numbers have been really about the same. For every thousand mailers that we send out, we usually end up getting about 50 responses back from people that have shown interest in perhaps selling their facility. And um, as you mentioned, Vina, some of those folks are at the top of the retail, and or, or some are just plain, hey, you know, give me an offer. <laughs> I'll, I'll, you know, let me know what you want, or they want a million dollars for the facility that's only worth five hundred thousand. And so. Uh, of those 50 responses, there's usually somewhere in the neighborhood of 15 to 20 that are worthy of looking into further, and then about four to five, uh, sometimes less than that, that will actually make offers on and usually end up with one or two of them that uh, we're looking to do. And those are, those are kind of roundabout figures that we've uh, seen time and time again when we uh, do our mailing campaigns. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, Julie has another question, but I want to I want to go to another question first because I think it's going to maybe illuminate Julie's question. This one is from JC in Las Vegas. He says, "With the huge pullback in traditional bank financing, what sort of institutions are stepping up as funders of these deals? Is it credit mm-hmm. unions? Are there hedge funds that have an appetite for self storage? In other words." I guess JC's been reading all these articles about how there is no commercial financing. Oh well, I think JC may have been reading my articles because you already answered um, uh, my top th- two of my top three. And yes, the answer is um, commercial lenders and, and traditional lenders have pulled back on their financing. A lot of them got their hands slapped by the FDIC for making some of the loans that they had, and others just took um, the big um, um, bailouts from the um, from the federal government and and are no longer in, in the commercial business right now, as the FDIC has told them not to. But the lenders that have that did very well during that time, that made common sense, uh, that used common sense underwriting and made good decisions on loans, were the credit unions, the hedge funds, the savings and loans, and the community banks. And uh, those folks are very solid. They're not uh, as regulated by the FDIC because they didn't take any bailouts from them, and so their hands are not tied. And they know that self-storage is the one of the best asset classes to invest in, as a matter of fact. The loan failure rate on self storage facilities is hovering right around seven to eight percent compared to apartments at fifty eight percent and retail strip centers at fifty three percent and office buildings at sixty three percent and so you know the banks that were lending on those other commercial asset classes they're all of a sudden they're abandoning those strategies and they're looking at nothing but self storage and they're actually clamoring to get those deals. And so those folks are excited, and, and, and banks, you know, they make their money by lending, and this is the best asset class for the banks, and they've realized that. And so uh, those are the folks that we're going to. Typically what we'll do, Vina, you know, is when we're finding these um, uh, the properties that, that is a, a candidate for us to take a look at, one of the questions I ask uh, this, of the seller is, who's the lender on this? Because they usually don't want to lose loans, and if they like the deal, they like the area that the facility is located in, which is typically the town that the bank is in, they don't really want to lose the loan. Um, banks are not in the business of losing them, and so we'll contact them and say, hey, let's you know, renegotiate this. Here's the purchase price I've worked out with the seller, so let's go through underwriting again with me as the borrower. And so long as everything looks good, let's continue this relationship with uh, me as the borrower instead of the other person. So those are the sources. Savings and loans, credit unions, community banks, and, and hedge funds are the places that are absolutely interested in doing deals with you as a self-storage investor on that asset class. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, <clears throat> related to the whole the whole financing thing, Scott, I, I think one of the one of the things that has horrified, particularly apartment investors in the past two mm-hmm. years, has been that um, financing in the commercial realm has gone from being largely asset based, what's mm-hmm. the building worth and how much will it rent mm-hmm. for, 
to being largely can you afford the loan based like like residential mm-hmm. real estate has been and of course I, what that does is it it cuts 90% of the investors who could have bought an apartment building with financing a right. few years ago out because they mm-hmm. don't have the reserves they don't have the mm-hmm. the job it just amazes me the commercial lenders want people to have jobs it's the last thing in the world <laughs> yeah, i would want <laughs> yeah yeah you're you're so you're so unsuccessful at your commercial business that you still have to have a job so i'm going to loan to you um <clears throat> what are you, what are you finding in in self storage? Is there is there a lot of underwriting on the person, or is it still more based on the unit itself? Yeah, that's um, uh, you know, once again, what we've seen in in commercial and then especially self storage is that the, the the lenders are looking more to the strength of the property than they are to the strength of the borrower. However, um, as you mentioned, you know, the the, the tag we've thrown around within the past couple of years has been um, global. They want to see your global cash flows and your global investment portfolio. So, you know, what do your other assets look like? What do your other forms of real estate investing look like? Are, do you have some houses or small apartments over here that are hemorrhaging cash, and, and this will actually improve your balance sheet, which isn't always a bad thing, but they don't want that asset that they're giving you money on to be feeding some of the other investments um, or even paying your, your own mortgage um, if you are self-employed as a real estate investor, which, as you said, um, you know, heaven forbid, I, you know, I go back and get a job and then just let my portfolio, you know, wither. Mm-hmm. And not spend every day working on my business, mm-hmm. um, but that is that is kind of the state that we're in right now. Is that um, they are looking at globals. They want to look at everything, your credit score and and other income sources, but still looking more to the strength of the property. So, in other words, you know, if everything goes, if something goes sideways, or heaven forbid, the property goes south, the question they have to ask is, you know, will we take this asset back given the loan to value and the terms that we're going to make this loan? And with self-storage, it's a little bit easier for them to take that into receivership, put a property management company in place, and do something with that asset than it is with a a single-family home or even apartments where if all the the tenants leave um, and it has to be managed, it's a little tougher for them to do. So I want to paint a super rosy picture here, especially for those folks that are investing in single-family homes and apartments and doing well. I'm not – I don't want to discourage you or – show my bias, even though I am biased, but um, that's that, that's kind of what we've seen in the market is that uh, they're a little more um, positive and pro-self-storage than they are the other forms of commercial real estate. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it almost sounds like an investor who has not done any other investments, like this would be their first, you, you, you moved in the typical way from single to multi to this, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, but you also mm-hmm. advocate that that's not necessary. That, that, that one can go straight to self-storage if one knows what one is doing. And it almost sounds like that guy might be in good shape because he doesn't have the apartment building he bought in yeah. 2006 for too much money. <laughs> Correct. Correct. Plus, you can buy a lot more units um, in self-storage than you can apartments just because of the nature of the, the asset class itself. I mean, you're looking at steel walls and concrete floors. You can buy a whole lot more of those than you can apartments that have uh, drywall and carpet and appliances and electricity and plumbing, for that matter. And so you can, again, you know, for $100,000, buy lots of units, spread that risk uh, amongst those units, and um, and it, it, the business is, is able to you know, weather any storm that you have in the way of a couple of vacancies here and there. And mm-hmm. if you run it right, you shouldn't have that problem anyway because we've seen such a huge demand for storage anyway. So we continue to build on and add on to our facilities. Mm-hmm. Well, Scott, I have like 11 more questions I want to ask you, and then we're also getting like a ton of questions at askvina at gmail.com. Um, mm-hmm. Ping uh, says, thank you for the great show. What kind of cap rate can we, accept from self, can we expect from self-storage facilities? Well, you see, a, thanks, Ping, for the question, and you'll see them listed, uh, the ones that are on 
uh, brokerage sites in other places all over the place, but really what I'm looking for is uh, what I call a going-in cap rate. In other words, before negotiation, if something is listed with a broker by a seller, existing numbers uh, from their trailing 12 months, net operating income, not a pro forma or their future performance, I want to see at least a 10% cap rate um, going forward before negotiation. Now, I'll still, that's not a hard and fast rule because there's lots of properties out there that, uh, well, I shouldn't say lots, but there are times when we see properties that have a really, really low occupancy. And so in that instance, if we can pick them up for a, a lower cap rate and build even more value in them, we'll look at those as well. But, you know, I, I, I as a habit, typically like to buy and negotiate to uh, 10% or higher cap rates. And some of our properties we've been able to purchase in the 13 14% cap rate range, and and uh, they are cash cows <laughs> in that range. But that's typically what we've been finding, and that's what we really look for. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, uh, back to Julie's question that I had put off until after I asked JC's question about the financing. Uh, mm-hmm. She says, the bigger the payoff, the usually the longer it takes to close. How long is the sales cycle for a self-storage unit? Oh, for Ephraim, from the time uh, I'm assuming you find a deal until we get it closed and buy it? Mm-hmm. Is that if I'm understanding? Being? I think that's yeah, the question. It, you know, probably not a whole lot different than any other form of commercial real estate. Of course, we're always at the mercy of the third-party uh, vendors that we have to have involved. If the bank is uh, requiring a, a Phase One environmental inspection report, we have to bring those folks out. Of course, our own inspectors, and then the appraiser, and, and sometimes the the boards of these smaller banks. They only meet once a month, and so until we get all the information from the, the in, in the way of financials from the seller or the broker, you know, we can only at that point take it to the bank for them to take into the board. And so sometimes that may take. Um, two weeks, sometimes it may take 30 to 45 days. Uh, but typically what we write in our purchase agreements is that we'd, we'd like to, the deal to be closed within 90 days and usually getting it done between somewhere around the 60 to 75-day mark. Uh, our record is 45, and um, <laughs> to this date I haven't found any of my students or any of my cohorts that have got one done any quicker, and my broker always brags about that to some of his other folks who are dragging their feet. <laughs> but I'd say typically within the 60 to 75-day time frame just because Again, we're kind of at the mercy of the bank's boards and appraisers and inspectors and all those other folks that have to do their stuff. And it also has to be in linear fashion. So we get approval first, and then they go to the appraiser, and they have to do their job, and then we go back and forth. And so we just kind of kind of like building a house. You know, you can only do so much before the next person gets his job done. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, we need to take another quick break. Uh, we may be able to answer some more questions, maybe not, but go ahead and send them to askvina at gmail.com or give us a call at 772-9658 or 877-772-9658. Support for WMKV comes from the Ohio Renaissance Festival on State Route 73 in Harveysburg, where you can feast like royalty, featuring the marketplace with over 135 authentic craft shops and nearly 100 entertaining stage shows each day. More information is available at renfestival.com or at 513-897-7000. A couple of new accidents to let you know about. One on Anderson Ferry at Foley. The other one, Beekman at Westwood Northern Boulevard. And, of course, we have delays southbound 75 approaching the Brent Spence Bridge. Tonight, clear skies, a low around 50. Sunny tomorrow with a high of 75 degrees. Friday, sunny with a high of 78. Slight chance of showers later in the day, Friday into Saturday. A 50% chance of rain then on Saturday. Uh, But some sunshine also expected Saturday, too, with a high of 82. And then Sunday looks good with partly sunny skies and a high around 80 degrees. Right now, we're at 75 here at 89.3 WMKV. 
Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. My guest today, Scott Meyer, self-storage expert. And wow, Scott, you got people going here. I, every time I every time I hit this and receive email, I'm getting more and more really good questions that I wouldn't even thought to ask you about. Well, I don't go to bed until about 10 o'clock, so I'm here as long as you want me. <laughs> I think, I think the, the, the station's actual scheduling is... Uh, <laughs> probably going to disallow us to be here until 10 o'clock but yeah. of course folks can come and see you on saturday at cincinnati Rhea. Um, that's again cincinnati uh come out if you get a chance because scott's obviously going to cover all this in it in a way that's more organized than maybe we can always do on the radio with questions sort of coming in on different sorts of uh topics now uh got a got a very good question here from dan in chicago he says scott i'm not getting how as a new investor i can buy these properties no money down i know that commercial loans require 20 plus percent down payments how do i make up the difference ah good question dan yeah absolutely you know, if we're getting out, going out and finding anywhere between a 70 to 80% LTV loan, yes, it does leave 20% that we have to have in the deal. Uh, previous years, we were able, in the heyday, if you will, of financing several years ago, we used to be able to have the seller um, provide that 20% as a seller carryback and do kind of an 80-20 deal with no cash of our own in the game. Well, uh, the new lending environment that we're in right now, the banks do want to see some skin in the game, if you will, some cash. And so that can come in the form from you, Dan, of using your self-directed IRA, getting a private lender friend of yours to invest with you in the deal, finding a partner in the deal. There's other mezzanine lenders out there that are willing to bridge that gap and get you up to the purchase price. Um, there's a number of different ways, credit lines that are still available out there. You can tap into the equity in some of your other properties that you may have um, and or sell off some other properties that you may have. But depending upon if you're if you're only looking at a $40,000, $50,000, $100,000 deal, um, that may be just a matter of selling off some of your personal items that you may have stored at a storage facility somewhere <laughs> to get the cash for a down payment on buying and owning your own self-storage facility. We've, we've got about 17 different ways that we've identified uh, to raise the funds and structure these deals and put them together. Not not, a, not 101 different ways like some of the other folks teaching out there, but about 17 different ways that uh, that we and the pros are using to, to put these deals together without essentially no, any money out of our own pocket but still having cash into the deal. Um, to make the bank and the sellers happy and to um, close the deals. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay, a uh, question here from Jim in Tucson. He says, in purchasing your first self-storage complex, what should an investor be looking for in terms of metrics like the number of units versus rentable space, the purchase price versus the improved turnaround value, the vacancy rate versus the percentage of lease space, et cetera? Wow. <laughs> I'm sorry, that was from Jim, Vina? Yeah, I got smart listeners. What, you know, what, yeah, what can you say? I guess so. Jim, Jim, you need to come Saturday. We'll, 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 we'll teach you all yeah, about get, that. Get a plane ticket I, from I Tucson, you, Jim. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you what we look at, Jim. Here's kind of uh, some of the buying criteria that we look at. We're, we're really looking for, in order to have a sustainable deal for us and what we've fallen into, and this may be different for all types of investors out there, but we usually look for deals that are around 200 units in size. And that means that they have um, somewhere around... 25, 30,000 square foot, roughly. And in that range, they're usually above $500,000 in value, but that allows us to have a, and enough, enough net operating income to have a part-time part 
facility manager, as well as implementing these kiosks, which we haven't even touched on yet, um, Bina, which would really light up the phones and the email. But essentially, these kiosks and what look like an ATM machine that help us to manage the facility. And so the, the metrics that we look at really come through after we've evaluated the um, um, the facility as far as you know relevance to square foot and the price, and, and those are really good metrics to look at. Uh, we'd like to buy it for less than replacement cost, and in most cases for these facilities, that's around twenty to twenty-five dollars a square foot. That's always a bonus. But at the end of the day, what we're really evaluating is is uh, the cash flow on the deal and a market cap rate compared to what the rest of the market is selling for for that type of property, and the, and the and the class type as well. So in other words, if it's a brand new facility, it's going to be a class A. If it's an older, tired facility, it's going to be a Class C, and if it's somewhere between a Class B, and, and we'll compare that to the other types of facilities that have sold in, in the area and find out, as far as a cap rate, what they sold for and cost per square foot and really measure it against the rest of the market um, in terms of how, how we would approach going into this particular facility. I think that covers a couple of those questions there, but um, <laughs> may, maybe not all of them, Bina. Well, uh, and Scott, I actually have, have a question uh, spinning off what you just said about liking the 200-plus unit or bay uh, facilities. Mm-hmm. Um, a- apartment buyers have very specific likes and dislikes. You know, I only yep. want to do over 100 units. I only want to do the 12 mm-hmm. to 20s. I only want it. And, mm-hmm. and they all have their reasons. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I I only want to do over a hundred because then I can have a full time resident manager. I only exactly. want to do yep. I only want to do twelve to twenty because that's that's too big for the small buyer and too small for the big buyer, and I can get the best deals yep. in, mm-hmm. in in that. So uh, your uh-huh. your your two hundred plus is based on on what things that you like about it. Yeah, you know um, that those are usually facilities that also yeah fall under the um, uh, the radar or not even on the radar of the bigger guys out there. They're usually um, uh, buying up to 350, 400 units and above. And so, yeah, um, I, I don't have to compete with those folks. There still may be in a market where I compete with them, which is always good because their marketing drives traffic to my facility. Um, there's a more a, a larger um, pool of potential buyers for me later on down the road, but also these 200 unit facilities, 200 to 300 unit facilities, they're typically not in the major metro areas. They're on the outskirts, the suburbs, and maybe even a little further out is what we call the, the, the secondary and tertiary or second tier, third tier markets where we can go in and compete with the other local folks. And, and typically we do a little bit better job of marketing and operations than we can usually beat uh, the other mom and pops in our area. And so from that standpoint, um, we, we've kind of uh, almost fallen into that by way of the way we market and the way we negotiate with these uh, these facilities and find them. And then we found once we got into the business and running those types of facilities in those markets that it's um, a little more profitable than, than looking at the Class A and at some of the other sizes as well. And, again, that size is perfect for us because we can have a part-time manager because my job is not to manage a facility. It's to go out and find more uh, facilities to buy. But I can have somebody in there for 20 to 25 hours a week and then use the kiosk um, which is the machine that we buy to handle the management the rest of the time, and that seems to be a really good mix for us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, question from Aaron in northern Kentucky. He says, I have bought, repositioned, and sold several apartment buildings. I'm fascinated with whether I could do the same thing with self-storage units. Mm-hmm. And I guess we should probably describe yep. what what reposition means for folks who maybe aren't familiar with that term. Yep. Yeah, and that's um, that's essentially what we're doing with a number of our facilities as well. Is we we like to buy these facilities. You know, I'm I'm a value play guy as well. I'm a fixer upper. I used to buy bikes and fix them up and sell them to my friends when I was a kid. Then I did it with cars, and I did it with the houses and apartments and office buildings, and now I'm doing it with self storage. And we find these value add facilities that 
um, are not managed very well. They have low rents. They have low occupancy. Their expenses are high. Uh, they have the ability to add more units on the acreage, on the parcels that we can, uh, once we turn it around and fill up the vacancies, we can add more buildings. And then also the absence of all those profit centers that are available in self-storage, which is the ability to add truck rentals and uh, retail sales like locks, boxes, and moving supplies and propane filling tanks and adding business centers and mailboxes in the office for clients to run their businesses out of, to pack and ship centers, to, to adding eBay sales services. And uh, the list goes on and on. We've identified over 40 different profit centers that you can add to self-storage facilities to increase the value. And we're seeing anywhere from, if you're just doing the basics like truck rental and retail sales, sometimes 5 to 10% increase in income. To if you're really adding these uh, multiple profit centers, you can increase it by 30 to 40%. And then you're really talking, and those are just in the profit centers, and we're really talking about forcing appreciation and creating value. And I haven't found any other form of real estate that you can do that with these profit centers in addition to you know, turning the management around, getting occupancy up, raising rates, and then building more buildings. It's just um, mm-hmm. <laughs> we, we found that that is the most profitable, and then we either refinance and hold on to the goose that lays the golden egg, um, or absolutely um, buy a, a handful of these facilities, do that, and then turn it around and, and, and sell off um, the entire portfolio to the larger regional or national players that are looking to expand in a given area. Um, they, the, the opportunities are almost endless. Scott, we literally have one minute left, and so I'm going to slightly restate a question that I got from Kathy here in Cincinnati. And, and you, mm-hmm. no matter how long you can answer it, you got one minute, okay? Gotcha. The, the, right. the question is basically... What sorts of problems can people run into with self-storage if they don't mm-hmm. learn about it first? Yep, yep. Two, two things to watch out for. And, you know, what's the downside? Here, here they are. Uh, the biggest change that we noticed from going from transitioning from apartments to self-storage is just the sheer amount of units. You buy more units for your dollar. And so tracking the rentals is, uh, is a little more cumbersome. So get good property management software to keep track of all those folks. And then the number one reason to, or way to get yourself in trouble is what's called the wrongful sale and disposal of a unit. We have the luxury of being able to auction people's stuff off if they don't pay, but if you sell the wrong unit, you'll be in a heap of trouble. Oh, <laughs> I bet that? you will. All right, Scott Myers, thank you very much. And remember, folks, if you're in the Cincinnati area this Saturday, you can come see Scott at Cincinnati RIA, but you need to make a reservation. It's CincinnatiRIA.com or 859-292-7342. We will be back next week with more information to put you on the path to financial independence through real estate investing. Until then, happy investing. Live the memories and love the memories. Sinatra and Ella Fitzgerald and Rosemary Clooney and Lux Theater, Sherlock Holmes, all these different things. And WMKV provides that on their station. 89.3 FM, WMKV, Reading, Ohio. Reporter Angela Ingram is there. She joins us live now with new information. Angela. 
Well, Cammie, things are wrapping up here. Some of the fire crews that were here are starting to leave the area. 